everyone, and welcome to another episode of Productive Disruption. I'm your host, Gabby Denicio, and today I'm joined by Shakaka Perry. Located in Charlotte, North Carolina, Shakaka is a re-engagement coordinator at community, Communities in School with Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. According to the CIS website, re-engagement involves a set of activities and initiatives to increase students' and families' interests, passions, and relationships in the service of promoting equitable learning conditions both inside and outside of the school. Shakaka, thank you for the work that you do, and thank you for being here with me today. Thank you so much, Gabby. I'm so excited to speak with you today. It's going to be a terrific podcast, I can tell already. Yeah, so for those of y'all, obviously, you don't know what has happened the last 10 minutes, but it's a miracle that we are um, recording. It has been like tech issue craziness, not even tech issue, probably me issue, Um, but we're here. We're doing it. We're so excited to be here today. So I gave a little bit of an intro, but I really want to hear from from your mouth, and I'm going to challenge you a little bit here. So without any titles, describe the work that you do for CIS and for CMS. Okay, without any titles. Um, I think the, the main thing that I do is help students identify what their dream life is after high school. Like not the dream that their mom has for their life, not the dream that their teachers has for their life, but the dream they have for themselves after high school. And together we work to identify what obstacles are currently in our way to achieving that goals, what um, their strengths are as far as being able to achieve that goal, some areas of growth we might need to work on before being able to achieve that goal. And we work together to make the steps one by one. <laughs> it might take, you know, three steps. It might take 10 steps, but identifying those steps we need in order to get them from where they currently are to the life that they want to live once they graduate from high school. So I would say that is like the biggest chunk of my job. And within that, that's a lot of, you know, growth work. That's a lot of personal work. That's a lot of um, real world work <laughs> as far as becoming an adult and uh, what that means and living that life. Um, and there's also a lot of family support within that too. So my main goal is just to help them identify what it is that I want to do with myself once I leave high school. And once I identify what that is, what things do I need to do in order to get me there? So that's the best way that I'll be out of describe that for um, my students. And I do that work as a re-engagement coordinator with CIS. And we work within Charlotte uh, Mecklenburg schools here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And now you started your career off in education. You were a special education teacher for a handful of years, right? What led you to get into education to begin with? Well, um, for so long, I have always enjoyed working with younger people, even when I was a younger person. (laughs) Um, My mother has always worked in a daycare setting. And so even when I was like a seventh or eighth grader, I can remember going to her daycare center and teaching the young girls how to do cheers that I learned in middle school. And we did dances. Like I made a whole dance routine off a crisscross jump. It was phenomenal. (laughs) We had the backwards clothes and everything. So imagine, you know, six-year-olds learning from a 12-year-old how to do, you know, a dance routine. So I just always liked working with younger with younger people. And uh, once I became a military wife and living on military installation, it was kind of like one of those easy things to do was to kind of like, oh, I can, you know, work in a school setting. Because at that time, I had two younger kids. Um, my oldest son had 
been diagnosed with autism at that time. And my younger daughter was almost diagnosed with autism during that time. So I needed something that was going to work with me being able to support my own children and then also support their diagnoses with all the therapies and things they had outside of school. And I'm like, hey, school will be perfect. Um, and then just being a mom of kids with different abilities, going into special education was just a natural route to me. Um, I was one of those moms that, you know, I wanted to find out everything I needed to know. I wanted to have good communication with the teachers. I wanted to know all about, you know, the IEP. I wanted to know about resources in the community for my children. So once um, I entered that space as a parent, I wanted to be in a position where I can help other parents enter that space because it's a great transition. And so um, when I moved to Charlotte, I moved with the premise of being a special education teacher. And I was able to do that in the middle school um, setting as a resource math teacher. And I absolutely loved it. Um, and it was actually in that position that introduced me to um, communities and schools. So it was a transition from like, this is what I'm currently doing now. And then when I saw that person in their role, I was like, that looks like something I want to do in the future. So it took me a couple of years, but um, I was finally able to get a, a position with their communities and schools. And I have currently been here for six years now. So, so yeah, so that's how I started in education and transition to communities and schools. I think it is so beautiful that with your children and, you know, having different abilities of rather than, you know, Googling, right, which is there's nothing wrong with that and trying to learn everything. You went and you got a degree and then you were helping these other children. Like, I don't know if your kids know it now, but like what a superhuman, super mom thing to do to make sure that you were able to be and show up in the best way for it. I just think that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's um, my undergraduate degree is actually in journalism and mass communications. And then uh, when I started um, teacher assisting, I actually was a teacher assistant in special education classrooms. Like that was my premise. Like I wanted mm -hmm. to work with children with different abilities. And so I worked uh, with kids who had... Um, who had um, more severe abilities and needed lots of hands-on. And I worked with some kids who only needed resource level. And once I did that for a couple of years, I knew, I was like, this is something that I can do. Um, and then so I went back and did the lateral entry program and, you know, um, took some practice and thank God I passed it because it was hard. <laughs> Yeah. And so that I could be able to work in that space. And, um, and it was, it was, it is, it is something that has helped me not only when I was in the classroom, but it has helped me a lot working in communities and schools. Because even before I became a re-engagement coordinator, I was a youth development coordinator and being able to have um, students on my caseload who had different abilities and who also received um, special education resources. That was another way I was able to help the student, help the, um, and the parents understand and navigate their process from high school to things they were doing, you know, once they graduated, because as a parent, I understood that route. So it has been something that has helped me a lot throughout my time, not only when I was teaching, but also as a coordinator with communities and schools. And I'm very grateful um, to have that experience and still be able to pull from that as I help um, my students in this position. It seems like this was kind of always the path you were destined to be on in some capacity, just like working yeah. with youth development. Because at the core, right, youth development is, is the center of all these roles that you've had. And so it, it's a really... Mm -hmm really cool thing just to like, I'm sure, look back and see the string, right? The kind of the invisible string that's connected mm -hmm. all of these roles together. But you said when you were working as a special education teacher, that's when you learned about communities and schools. How did CIS get on your radar? Well, um, as a lot of teachers, and now we're seeing now we have so many teachers who have left the profession. 
Um, and just for different things. I know COVID played a great impact on that. And um, just being in education and, you know, for years we've learned about, you know, the pay is <laughs> not always the greatest and the love is always there, but there are so many out um, outer factors that influence whether or not teachers stay in the classroom. And I absolutely loved working with my students, but there were just different life things that were happening for me that was just making it a more challenging thing for me to be able to continue to be a teacher. But I know that I wanted to still support students. Um, I feel like it is something that I was destined to do, even though I thought my destiny was fashion. I'm still holding on to that fashion <laughs> a little bit. I thought it was... Um, once I got into it, like no matter where I went, even if I left for a little while and took a different job, I will always end somewhere back in education and working with students. And so um, when I was at my position, I saw a young man and I saw him, you know, pulling students and having groups of students and working with students. And I knew he wasn't a staff teacher. Um, I knew he wasn't a teacher assistant. And I saw him in the building. And one day I just went up to him and I was like, you know, because I had a couple of students in my classroom that was on his case. And I was I was like, OK, you're not the social worker. You're not the counselor. You know, like you're not a teacher. Like, who are you and what do you do? And that's when he told me that he worked for communities and schools. And I had never heard of them before um, coming from South Carolina and then moving to the um like the coast of North Carolina, when I came to Charlotte, um, I hadn't had experience with him because I worked in department defense schools before. And he told me about the organization. He told me about his role. And I was like, this will really go along with the things that are, I'm kind of having personally in my life and then what I want to happen professionally in my life. And so I was like, you know, who, what's this organization? What's the website? You know, what do I need to do to be hired? What experience level is needed? Um, and he was kind of telling me about the position and the role that he had. And during that time, I was just finishing my first year teacher. I was just finishing my master's degree. And my master's degree is in human services with a concentration in school and community services. So I wanted to find a job that would help me meld together schools and communities, like tie them more together. And I was like, this sounds like the perfect place for me. Um, so I went on the website and unfortunately for years, there were no openings. Because <laughs> the one thing I could say about um, CIS of Charlotte um, for years and years, people will come and they will stay. They are not leaving. <laughs> and I understand why, because it is absolutely one of the best organizations I've ever worked for. And it was just so many years. I want to say um, I started teaching in 2012. I finally got a position in um, CIS Charlotte in 2016. So from 2014 wow. to 2016, I was actively trying <laughs> to find a position within communities and schools. And when I say people were not leaving, Gabby, they were not leaving. Like, um, as a matter of fact, we have one staff member now, and she has been with community schools for over 20 some odd years. She has been one of our longest staff members in the organization. And so, um, in 2016, I remember it was early spring, I went on the website again, and I saw they had a position that was opening for high school. And the position was at between two high schools. And one of the high schools listed was the feeder school of the middle school I was working with. So feeder schools are um, basically, if you live in the neighborhood, you go to a certain elementary school and depending on your neighborhood, you go to a certain middle school. And from that middle school, you go to a certain high school. So the I had worked at the particular middle school that was the, the feeder school to this high school that was listed. And I was just like, this is my opportunity. This oh. is meant for me. I am going after this position. So I applied went on the interview and the interview was like <laughs> it was challenging I was like at one point in time I had a like it was a 
four person panel and it was like three of us in the room that were like, you know, interviewing for this at the same time. Wow. It was intense. Oh, I'm sweating. <laughs> oh God. It was uh-uh. intense. And it was like a round robin asking us questions and things. And I was like, oh, and this was the first or the second, this was the second interview because I had a first interview and this was the second interview. And I was like, whoa, this is intense. You're like, what are and you guys our, doing here? Are we all here for the I same know, job? Right? Can y'all leave? <laughs> I was like, are we here together? And then um, I remember from my, the third interview is between myself and someone else who in um, who I'm still very good friends with now. And we went to the school and I was just saying like, you know, this role was meant for me. And I know this is a position where I need to be. Not only, you know, is this my dream position? Like I want to work with these babies because a lot of these babies I taught in middle school and it would be so fantastic to see them on this second part of their journey before they go to high school. I mean, I even cried in my interview. I don't suggest crying, but I didn't mean to cry. It was just, I was just so overwhelmed and so emotional about the fact of being able to support these students. And um, I don't think they got me the job because I had a very tough principal. So I don't think they got me the job. I think she just was able to see my passion and um, wanted to be able to be there and help those students. And so when I got the position, I was so ecstatic. I was so ecstatic. And I started May, 2016, and I was able to see three years of students that I taught in middle school graduate from high school. And it was so rewarding. And then after I was able to see them, I had, you know, even um, I had one family when I had two of their siblings. And so just to be able to have that continual impact with not only the students, but, you know, their family members to be like, hey, make sure you get on Miss Perry's caseload. And Miss Perry, I know, you know, so-and-so's little brother's going to be in your caseload because you took care of, you know, their sister, their brother. And that's the hard work that keeps you in this work. Um, and it's been times like that. It has kept me going within communities and school. It's had, it has given me the best of two worlds. It has allowed me not only to have like kind of like that classroom teacher, counselor, social worker type role with the students and the work that we provide with them with the resources, but also being able to have that second patch where I'm able to work more with the families, more with the students, and then work more inside the community with bringing in those resources that they need in order to be able to make that plan they need to successfully go on their way as an adult out in the real world. So it's been very rewarding. Everything about this, if there was ever something, like I said to you earlier, that was so just like built on fate, I feel like it was this, you know? Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I think from everything you've said, this is where you were supposed to be. That other person, I'm sure, fantastic. I mean, there's no, you can't hold the candle to that, right? Yeah, yeah. She is fantastic and she didn't end up working for CIS Charlotte for a while. (laughs) And we actually now do um, some other work outside of our organizations together. She does, she still does some of this work, but yeah. So she was a great individual, just not for my school. <laughs> no, you were going to get there. You've been stalking the website that was my for four school, years. Yes. You were going to yes. end up there. <laughs> that so was my funny. place. Like, it's so funny. Now we laugh about it. I was like, honey, that was going to be my school. I didn't know what I had to do, but I was going to get there. <laughs> I love that. But, yeah. I love that. You know, whatever it takes. And sometimes I think to the passion set, you know, the, the credentials get you in the door, but it's everything else that follows. And mm-hmm. I think you probably had all of that. Um, one thing yeah. I'm very curious about, because I, as someone who was in education for three years, I didn't know that this role existed. And I really wish I did because mm-hmm. I, I, like when you and I first spoke, I could have seen how beneficial this would have been, especially at my first school 
of how somebody Mm -hmm. in your role could have really helped these kids on a day-to-day basis. And I'm sure the answer is there's no, there's not an average day, but as, as common, you know, the common threads of your job, like what does the day-to-day look like for you? Well, um, a lot of days look like the beginning of our, our time together this morning. Like you plan something <laughs> and it's not working out. <laughs> and then you have to call and try to do all these different things to kind of make it work out. And you make um, it work? So, yes, flexibility, you know, flexibility and grace are two words that I carry with me every single day. Because anytime you're within an educational setting, everything is not going to go to plan. So you have to be able to be, to be flexible and give yourself grace and other people that you're working with grace. But on a day-to-day day basis or a typical day, um, the first thing would be checking in with my students. If I have students who are at school, you know, logging into power school to see if they're actually on campus, um, because attendance is a very big part um, of the work that we do within communities and schools, um, because we have a lot of students within our program who experience chronic absenteeism. A lot of uh, most of the schools that we work in are tier one schools. And for a lot of our schools, attendance is an issue. Uh, For my school that I've worked in since I've been at that school, we've had um, a high chronic absenteeism rate. So for us, in order improving attendance has always been um, the number one goal of ours. So I'll, you know, get up and check power school to see if the students are in school. If they are in school and I'm on campus, great. I know which blocks I can try to, you know, see them. If they're not at school, then I'm texting. <laughs> like, hey, where are you? What's going on? If they're not answering, the, you know, their text, I'm calling either them or parent um, just to see, you know, what's going on. If it's an issue is, you know, maybe they missed the bus that morning or maybe Maybe they were working late and got up late and, you know, maybe they're on their way there or they're sick. Um, so just trying to find out what the circumstances are so that way I can inform their teachers. on like, hey, so-and-so is going to be late. They're coming today or they're going to be sick today. You know, say any work that I can take over to their home or things like that. Um, if the students are on campus, we do a lot of one-on-one check-ins. So we try to do um, at least a weekly check-in with the students, but I try to check in with my students as often as I see them. Usually if it's like in a hallway or a classroom thing, it's kind of like, hey, how's it going? You know, what's going on in class, that kind of thing. And then once during the week, it's actually more in-depth. Like I've looked at your attendance, I've looked at your grades, you know, you owe four or five assignments in Mr. So-and-so's class. Um, you know, you need to turn in work right here. Like you got an F on this test, like what was happening? Are they doing any, you know, makeups and things like that? So it's not only looking at the um, attendance, but it's also looking at the academics and seeing like what areas there are needed support, like trying to see if they need tutoring or if they're actually skipping. Because, you know, I'm in high school. So (laughs) if they skip the class and, you know, attendance is looking like, you know, for one class in particular, you are absolutely not going to this class. It's because you don't get, you know, the content. Are you having an issue with the teacher? Um, Is that you just need some extra support? Do you need tutoring? And from there, just trying to figure out how we can support you in this way. Maybe it is I'm stopping by this class you know, before it starts and make sure that you're arriving there. I'm sending an email to the teacher and finding out when tutoring hours are, or even it could be sitting down in a meeting with the student and a teacher trying to work out and see what can we do in order to make this a more positive experience for the student. So they are more willing to come and turn in work and not skip and that kind of thing. Um, usually, um, sometimes we have activities on campus. Um, as the year goes along, we have um, small group work that we do with um, individuals and um, in my, like this year, we're trying to do a small um, a book club with a small group of our girls. So it can be something that's tier two, which means that we have like 
three or four students together, or even up to like 12 or 13 students together doing different activities. Um, and being in my work as a re-engagement coordinator, I'm also connecting with resources out in community. So whether that's going to be um, Urban League or whether it's going to be local employers in the community, if they're um, trying to find employment or they want to have an apprenticeship or things like that, just sitting down with them and just saying like, hey, I know you want to, you know, be an electrician. This person right here in this space, they're looking for interns or like, let's go to this place who are, you know, who has a trade like program and see what their requirements are and see if you're interested in participating. And in that way, we can get you signed up in this trade program. So it's um it's a variety of those things on a, on a, on a daily basis. And it depends on who the student is. Um, it might might also include like a home visit. Um, if the student hasn't been um, receptive to phone calls or text messages and they haven't been able to reach the parent, um, kind of connecting with social workers and counselors in school and teachers and see if they've heard anything. And if they haven't, trying to schedule a home visit so we can go see if there's something that's going on with the student that's hindering them from coming to school or if there's something that's going on at home that's hindering them from coming to school. So it's a variety of all those things all at once every day, <laughs> um, along with like meetings and um, other um meetings um, within my team individually within my smaller team within my bigger team and then a lot of time we as a group go out in the community and try to make those connections for our students so it's a variety of those things between um, school community and partnerships and they all kind of like like entwine together yeah. so that we can kind of like help these students to be successful so I've got two questions for you the first is what's mm -hmm. the profile of the student who would end up on your caseload and how many students are typically on your caseload? Is it for the year? Is it for the semester? What is that mm -hmm. piece of this look like? So typically because of the work that is involved with the students on my caseload, we try to keep it between 20 and 30 students because okay. um, you want to have a smaller caseload just because of the, the variety of students that you have. Because um, like I said, you might have some students who are on school campus. You might have some students who are out in the workforce and you might have some students who are at another educational pla uh, placement. May maybe they're at CPCC or one of our local um, charter schools here that cater to students 16 and over who want to go to a different school that's not there homeschool. So we try to keep the caseload small um, because of the, um, the intensity of the work that we're doing with these students. And a typical student that will be on a re-engagement um, coordinator's um, caseload will be a student who has to have chronic absenteeism in the past. And by chronic absenteeism, they have missed well over 20 school days the previous year. Um, a student who has experienced retention. Um, so we look to target those students who are undercredited and overage. Um, because a lot of times those students are um, might be your students who are going to be willing to drop out of high school. Like if I'm 17 and I'm technically in the ninth grade and I have three credits and I need 24 credits to graduate and, you know, I have to leave school by the age of 2021, 20, there's a lot of work that goes in between that. So that might be a hopeless situation for them. And they might be thinking about like, oh, I'm just going to drop out because there's no way that I can, you know, make up all this schooling in a time that's allotted for me. Um, we'll work with students who have been identified, like maybe they do come to school every day, but they're not engaged in class. So like maybe they're in school every day, all their classes, they're not turning in work. Um, they're skipping habitually. 
So um, they are, even though they're on campus, they're not engaged in the curriculum and they're not engaged in the um, academic environment as a whole. So th that is typically the students that we try to reach um, because those are the students that we know um, it's very easy for them just to, you know, decide just to chuck it and leave it all, especially when they are close to the age of 16. So we really try to um, work with those students who are, would be identified as either being a junior or a senior or they should be a junior or a senior because at, by the age of 16 in North Carolina, that's the age where you can basically drop out of school. Um, of course, you know, that's the whole process, but like if you are 16 years old and you're chronically absent, say you don't show up for school for 20 some odd days, you're not responsive to teacher calls, you're not responsive to social work calls. We have done one or two home visits for you and we have got no response or we've done, you know, home visits and you say, yeah, I'm gonna come back and you haven't, then you are a perfect candidate to be withdrawn from school because you're not engaging. And so, I mean, that takes paperwork that's approved by the principal of that school. And then after at least the principal, it goes up to the district and the district approves that. But you, because you're not coming to school, you're not being responsive to the things we're asking of you. And we're kind of using all the resources that we have and we could just drop you. And then once you're dropped, then you're this 16-year-old, quote-unquote adult that's out here, and we don't know if you're working, we don't know if you wanted to come to school, but you had all, all these overarching things that were keeping you from coming to school, um, or you just had, you know, personal things where, like, this placement was just not for you, and you needed to get it somewhere else. So that's typically the kids that we try to um, cater to on our caseload specifically, because we know um, how easy it is for those kids to be the ones, because of their age and because they're lacking engagement, to be the ones that are considered uh, to be withdrawn from school. So we kind of want to engage them as soon as we um, they are either identified by the district or they're identified by the school. And so we try to go out there and present to them the pathways that we have in a way so we can support in a way of trying to get them to either complete their education or if they know for sure that, you know, I want to go into workforce. School is not for me right now. Maybe it's for me when I turn 17 and 18 and then I want to go back and get my GED or something like that. But right now I want to focus, focus on working either because I like to or because of my family situation, I have to and let them know like, okay, you still have somebody who's here with you to support and navigate that with you. Um, because beforehand um, in my previous position as a youth development coordinator, I would have students who we've done all these reaching out, they're not responsive. And all you know is just like, okay, we have withdrawn paperwork for them. And then because you're out of school and we didn't have this re-engagement position before, you're not on my caseload. Unless I have a close experience with the uh, relationship with you and your parents, then I might know what's going on with you. But realistically, like I don't. So like we had this relationship or we were building this relationship, this relationship and because of these factors, I no longer have any contact with you. And the reason that this re-engagement um, um, position is so great is because it gives us within communities and schools another opportunity to have that connection with our students. Like, no, this student does not want to come back to your home school, but I can still have you on my caseload and help support you into getting a job, or I can help support you into getting into the technical college in order to get your GED or your high school diploma. Um, and for those students who are still in school and we're able to get them back to school, our main objective is to, to support them into um, a place where they are actively engaged in the curriculum on school. They are coming to school. They're doing, you know, all the things they need to be doing in order to be successful and then transferring them over to a youth development coordinators um, caseload within that same school so they have that continuum of support because now they're out of that area where you know 
they're not coming to school and they're and they're not engaged in the curriculum. Now they're coming to school, they're engaged in the curriculum. So to further engage you with some different things and these different supports, I'm now going to transfer you to a youth development coordinator um, caseload. And within that youth development coordinator, um, they're able to help them do all the other work. Like, so the social emotional work that they might need in order to maintain this positive progress they've made. Um, and they still have me as a resource, but I'm able to transfer them to that caseload and then they're able to kind of keep them because now they're out of that. I don't want to say it's a red area because it's not a red area. It's a gray area. <laughs> they're out of that gray area more to a purple area <laughs> where they are kind of, you know, doing better and coming to school and being more engaged. And then we're moving them from that purplish area to like a, the green area when now, you know, they're on track to graduate um, within the time that's allowed for them to graduate. And they are being successful on working towards that plan that they want to achieve after graduation. What I feel is so impactful about this position too is for example, like you were saying, if this if the student does decide to leave, he's 16 years old, he can legally make that decision. The resources don't have to stop, right? Once you have that relationship with that student, you know, you're always going to be part of their their experience in some capacity, especially in the work mm-hmm. that you do. But even knowing that after he is he or she or they are technically off of your um, case study or your caseload, that you're able to then have them transfer over to a youth development coordinator. Like the resources don't have to stop for them. Cause I imagine if, and for some, I'm sure they do and they're not responsive and, you know, that's a whole other side of it, but I'm sure for many of these kids, you know, if the parental support isn't there, your role, the youth development coordinators, the teachers, y'all are probably the ones really championing, championing the, the student's return mm-hmm. or the student's success. And so whatever that looks like for the student, um, and I just mm-hmm. put myself back into 15, 16, 17 years old, and that support is crucial. And so I, I think, again, the work can't be understated, right? And I, mm-hmm. I think the fact that these roles exist, we're able to have these conversations, that in itself is just so major. Yes, and it is absolutely a collaborative effort. Um, last year was our first year piloting the uh, re-engagement position um, within three schools. So it's um, within my school and two other schools within communities and schools. And the relationships that we have with our counselors, our social workers, and our teachers, there's no way. One of my students, um, for example, um, I had a student last year in my caseload, and he ended up being on my re-engagement caseload um, because when I was a youth development um, coordinator, he was on my caseload and then COVID happened. Now, before COVID, he was an exemplar student, came to school every day, did his work. So just a ball of light and joy, just a great kid. Then COVID happened and he he experienced a lot of life changes. And I remember seeing him at the beginning of school after we returned to school. And then I was going from seeing him every day to like just not seeing him and then seeing him sporadically. And during this time, I was making a transition from youth development coordinator to re-engagement. And then once I was a re-engagement coordinator, I reached out to him, asked him what was going on. He told me, and I was like, okay, listen, you can be on my caseload. You're the type of student that can be on my caseload. You're having things go on, family. You know, you're not able to get to school every day. You're having, you know, um, your work is, you know, falling. Your grades are falling. Like, let me support you. And because I already had built that trusted and transparent relationship with him from being his youth development coordinator, 
he agreed. He said, okay, Miss Perry, you know, I will do it. And it was not easy because of the things that he was experiencing, the things that he was going through. He had a lot of family responsibility that was keeping him from school. He wanted to graduate. He absolutely wanted to get his high school diploma. He had a lot of things that was just happening. He had a lot of things on his plate that he was taking care of. Um, and with the support of his counselors, the social worker, and his teacher, because this was a kid who only needed, absolutely only needed two classes to graduate. And he was about to drop out. And he was two classes away from graduating. And so from being able to work with his teacher and telling his teacher and everybody, you know, this is this is what's going on. This is support I need. And teachers being able to, you know, send me work via email and actually making me packets that I was driving over to his house and leaving his mailbox. Like your work is in your mailbox. You have two days. I'm going to come back to your house, pick it up, take it back to the, to the teacher to grade. Like it was absolutely a collaborative effort. Um, from everyone in my school and the work that we're doing with these students, especially on a re-engagement level, um, especially if go, wanted to get their high school diploma, it's the way they want to go. So being in school with that track is what they want to do. It's absolutely a collaborative effort and it takes just a buy-in from everyone, not only myself as a re-engagement coordinator, but also the teachers and the counselors and even administration within the building. So I'm thankful and grateful that um, not only myself, but my two other re-engagement coordinators were able to experience that support from their school and their support teams. So we were able to successfully support these students who um, chose to come back on the track that included um, high school graduation. And when I say track, um, primarily we have three roles within the re-engagement. Um, so we have the um, the track that's a high school, homeschool. So you come back into your homeschool you're assigned to, you come back to going to school every day, and your objective is to graduate with your high school diploma from your homeschool. Our second track would be, you know, I might, I might want to get my GED or my high school diploma, and then we support you with going to the local technical um, college in order to do that enrollment process and be a part of that program. Or we have like um, two charter schools in the area that cater towards 16 to 21 year olds who want to come and get their high school diploma outside of the traditional CMS school setting. And then our third track is career. Um, and that is if you want to focus on working right now, and that is your primary objective. And even with the career track, we still let our students know about going back and either getting their high school diploma or their GED from our local um, technical community school, um, but supporting them with um, securing not only employment, but employment where they're able to progress. Um, so more so, you know, right now, maybe you have, you know, a fast food job and that's what you have. But let's look at other opportunities within the community that will give you the same level of flexibility, will probably give you more pay and more benefits that will help you and your family along the way. So those are the three tracks that I'm referring to. So, so yeah, so it takes, it takes um, a lot of collaboration and cooperation from a lot of people to be able to help these students to achieve their goals. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it, it feels too big of a job for one person to do. So thank mm -hmm. God there is, there is the collaboration piece because I'm sure it makes everybody's job just so much, not, not even easier, but just more successful and more impactful when you're mm -hmm. able to kind of tag in a team member and help get those resources, especially when you are dealing with between 20 to 30. I mean, that's 20 to 30 different lives and backgrounds and backstories. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Right. That that's not the Absolutely. job for one person, especially when the 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 end result is so critical to their future. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you you alluded to it a little bit earlier of, you know, we all are familiar with COVID. We've all been impacted by COVID. You said you had a student in particular who was you know, really saw the the impact of of what happened over those few years that 
two years or so that, you know, schools have looked very different. How did COVID impact the chronic absenteeism? Oh, goodness. (laughs) COVID definitely it was a challenging time and I, I don't want to say was a challenging time. I would say is, it has been, continues to be <laughs> challenging because we're still um, dealing with the repercussions of COVID in that time that we were out of school. COVID took us from a space and a place when I was able to visibly see that a student wasn't at school for three days a week and be able to kind of like catch them in the lunchroom or catch them in the quad or call a parent really quickly or text them and get a quick response back and kind of like um, figure out what was going on and and provide um, quick, you know, help to where we are now relying on technology to see if our students were in schools today. We're relying on technology to deliver curriculum. We're we're relying on technology to be able to connect with our students to see if they're okay. You know, if they're okay, if mom's okay, if siblings are okay. So I went from even my most engaging students who would come and seek me out, who would find me on the far ends of campus (laughs) to me not even hearing from them for, you know, months on end, me sending email messages and text messages and, and doing home visits. Um, what they, I would like to, you know, be grateful and thankful that during that time I was still able to be gainfully employed and still within our organization, we did so many different things to try to stay engaged with our students. So there were a lot of home visits um, when phone calls weren't, weren't happening and weren't being answered. Um, there were a lot of dropping off of like um, snack baskets and after school like Zoom meetings. And um, we even had art activities and <laughs> movie nights, like any way we could try to engage our students as best as we could just to try to connect with them and not just the academic side, because the academics are important, but the personal stuff was more important. Um, we have students who, you know, they're used to going to school to see those people they care about them every day. You know, because maybe they don't get that much level of support at home. You have students who were coming to school because it was a safe place to be during the day. You have students who were coming to school because that's where they were getting meals during the day. And you have some people who just coming to school because I need to be here because being here puts, puts me on a road to success for the things that I want to do in the future. And COVID interrupted all of that. So once we were able to come back on school campuses, the biggest part of my job was working with not only the school district, but with the school was trying to find students who didn't show up. Like on the first week of school, we had over 200 freshmen who hadn't shown up to school. And so those were phone calls and home visits and things that we needed to do trying to locate these students, just trying to see that they move. Um, were they still in the district, but they had different things going on with them? Um, because during that time, during the COVID, I had lots of students whose parents lost jobs. I had students whose family members got sick. I had students who were already working after school, but now we're working full time. Like I'll do my work when I can because I'm going to spend this time working to help my family out, to help support my family financially. Um, We had students who were just helping their family with childcare. They had younger siblings who were at home and they they were the primary childcare in the home because other parents had to go out and work. And so like I've spent all day with my younger brothers and sisters, making sure they get their schoolwork done. And then maybe I'm able to get to my schoolwork in the afternoon. 
So some of those students who were in those roles during COVID were still holding on to those roles, even after we were coming back to school, even after we were back on campus. So it's trying to help support them make a change from those roles that they were having during COVID, finding out what we can do, what resources they need in order to alleviate the stress of those roles they had taken upon themselves during that time and get them back into the role of being a student. Mm -hmm. And we are continuing to do that work right now. Um, I will say I was so glad to see during our open house um, last week, we had so many parents and so many students. It was a fantastic turnout. I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, I don't know if these parents are just ready for these kids to come back to school yeah, right. <laughs> or it's because we, you know, we had a, we had an open house like in person and they could come in person and see nothing. It was phenomenal. There were so many families, so many students. And so I feel like we are, ne- we are still coming into that place and space where students are coming back to that role of being a student, but we still have so many students who have not gotten to that point yet. And so a part of my job is identifying them, seeing which ways I can help support them, which track they will fall into and providing them those resources so they could come back to being either that school student, um, acquire gainful employment or trying to get their um, high school diploma um, in another way. Yeah. Yeah. COVID in education, I felt Mm -hmm. there were all these, there were, there were these issues already that we knew and then COVID happened And it was like all of these issues were just magnified. Um, Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And so we were really faced with the the task of, you know, figuring it out in ways that we had never done before. And exactly what you said, you know, students were now in this position where they could go work and make more money. They could provide for their family in in a way that they probably weren't able to traditionally. Mm -hmm. They could take on the role of... um, you know, childcare. Um, there were so many different things that they were now able to do. And I think you're absolutely right. When we went back, there wasn't that disconnect. Nobody disconnected mm-hmm. from that. Or if they did, it was incredibly difficult because now there was a scarcity. Um, mm-hmm. And that in itself presented a whole new slew of issues. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we just think about um, childcare within itself. We had so many daycare st- um, offices that didn't reopen. Right. Because you had, you know, they didn't have enough employees um, to care for the students or they had to go to like smaller um, students being able to go just because of, you know, COVID rules and regulations. Like lots of things changed. There were jobs, you know, that people lost during COVID. And so now they're unemployed and looking for other things. And if I am of a particular age and I can help support you, then I'm going to come support you. And then in all honesty, I have kids who even before COVID happened, we were having students who we're having heart to heart talks with because they're leaving school because, you know, working with my dad or my uncle, I'm making lots of money. They're making more money than Miss Perry. <laughs> and oh, so and I'm sure they to told you. To, right. <laughs> <laughs> so trying to be able to convince them like, yes, this money is great. And yes, the work you're doing, you work with your family and it's, it's a valuable career. It's a valuable tool. The experience you're getting, the work you're getting is fine, but we still want you to be able to get that high school diploma just in case you want to move differently after four or five years. Maybe this is not what you want to do in three or four years. And it's just like, well, Miss Perry, I'm getting paid a lot of money. <laughs> so we were still battling even those kids, like those kids who we were kind of like seeing every other day because, you know, Monday I'm at school or Tuesday I'm working with family. Now it's just like, we have completely lost them because they're like, okay, 
now I, you know, I don't even have to log into my schoolwork or else I'll log in at the end of the day, but I'm going to work full time. And then when you're 16 years old and you're getting, you know, this money that looks so terrific and, you know, and you're able to go buy all the stuff you want to do and help support your family and you're feeling like an adult, you're like, you're not thinking about school. Like school is on the back burner. You're not thinking about education because we tell students to go to school to get education so they can have gainful employment. Well, I'm gainfully employed now. Why do I need to go back to school? So that is why even though when we still have our students who are on the um, career track, we still try to instill in them like this is great and we're going to help support you. Try to find a job that will give you great pay and benefits. But we still want you to know that you can always go and still get your high school diploma because this might not be what you want to do, you know, three years down the line. And even if you love this job, maybe someday you want to be somebody supervisor maybe you want to own your own business and just the more education you have the more moves you can make yes. so so it's been a um you know a lot of a lot of that going on with some of the work that we're doing and um sometimes it works for us sometimes they come back and they're able to see that and sometimes it might take them you know two or three years to be able to kind of see like okay this is great money and then like i am going to go back and get my education because i do want to move up so we're kind of in combating um that situation as well because you're 16 years old and that money is looking terrific and you're able to be in a position of leadership um, and collaboration within your home, within your family. That's that's something that's very hard to um, to kind of challenge in times, especially when there's a need for it within that family. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to put you in the hot seat. We're going to move into kind of our last okay. segment here. <laughs> and so two of the questions are going to be just like, boom, whatever comes to mind. One's going to be a little bit more. I'll give you some more time to, to think through it. Um, okay. All right. So the first one, fill in the mm-hmm. blank. Education is? Education is a, t- is a ticket to anything you want to do in the world. I believe that. Even if the education you receive is not something, it doesn't take you where you thought it was going to take you. It doesn't take you somewhere else. Like my journalism and mass um, communication degree with my minor in fashion, did not take me to that fashion journalism position that I wanted to have with Ebony Magazine. (laughs) However, it it has taken me to communities and schools in a place in the space where I'm still able to reach students and use all of that information that I got from my undergraduate degree to be able to help students achieve their goals and graduate from college and go on to be teachers and go on to be coaches and go on to do you know fantastic things and um so yeah education is a golden ticket I would say that if you could wave a magic wand what would you fix in education oh my gosh Gabby you're talking about some productive disruption here honey (laughs) (laughs) you want to know about some productive um disruption yes Just speaking from my experience with my students in my school, I feel um, in Charlotte, we do a lot of focus on magnet schools. And we're doing a lot of focus on magnet schools because it's, it's giving those students the opportunity to kind of specialize their education which is so important. Um, if you're into the arts and dance, we have a magnet school for that. If you want to be a, a, a medical professional, we have a magnet school for that. I feel like we need to focus more on magnet trade schools. Right now within CMS, it's a lot of STEM. Um, and STEM, I would say STEM language and fine arts seems to be the top three magnets. 
And I feel just with the population students that I work with, we need to focus more on having magnet schools that have trades in them. I have so many students who um, want to do automotive work. I have so many students who want to go into into personal service, such as cosmetology. Um, I have, or even culinary. And even though we have culinary programs in some places, we like in my school, we don't have them everywhere. Um, there are students who want to learn how to do construction work. One of my students who didn't who did not want to come back to school was making a lot of money in construction. (laughs) But it's just like I I feel like when we're going along and making these magnet schools, we need to ask the students what type of magnet programs they want. Because a lot of times I feel like we're doing what we want. We hear, okay, tech is good now. We have everybody, you know, who's working at these big tech companies, you know. So we're going to have all this STEM work. We're going to have, you know, medical. We're going to have technology. Um, we have engineering. I've probably, in the time I've been in my school, I probably had two or three students who wanted to do engineering. I've had eight students who wanted to be barbers. I've had more than that who wanted to um, do automotive. I had some who wanted to learn how to drive like the big things, like the um, the machinery that you have when you're on construction sites. So the I feel like things. we need to have <laughs> the big things. You know, what's the thing with the little, I'm thinking about Bob the Builder. <laughs> what are you I don't it? even answer for you. I couldn't tell you what it is. <laughs> But it just made me laugh because that's exactly how I wanted to. You know the things. The big things. The big things. The things with the um. What do you call that thing? A bulldozer. The bulldozer. Oh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they get the license about to drive the bulldozer. I have Above kids the who want to be tr- Yeah, bottle bill license. That would be cute though. Bottle bill license. <laughs> they. You know what? They might be like, oh, I know who he. I remember bottle bill. He builds things. I want to do what bottle bill does. Let's have a bottle bill program. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but like you have kids who might be interested in being over the road truck drivers. Mm-hmm. So I feel like a lot of time in education is you hear everything from the adults. It's adult heavy because, you know, they're the ones that go to school. You know, they're the ones who got all the degrees and all the experience. And they are the ones who knows how education works. But if education has not been working for these students in such a long time, maybe take more time to listen to what it is they want for themselves. Yeah. Ask them, how can we make this school district that you're in better? How can we make your school better? What kind of things do you want to learn in school on top of the things that you have to learn in order to get your, you know, diploma within North Carolina? What other things do you want to learn that will make you want to come to school every day? Mm-hmm. There, um, we had our um, conversation in the past when we were asking, like, why can't we have, you know, this, you know, automotive program at our school? They had one back in the day, long time ago. Why can't we have one? And the things that we kept hearing about is money, we kept hearing about um, test scores because apparently you had to have some kind of level of scoring in order to have some kind of this program in the school. And I'm just like, well, we could have a remedy to all that. There's always a way to find funding for things, especially if you know it's a way to make school run better. If ultimately we want our school, our students to graduate from high school, and if you see every year that the graduation rate is decreasing and you want to make sure that it increases and surpasses what it's been every single year, then you need to start listening to student voice and allowing students to have the kind of education they want to have, the kind of education that's going to serve them well and being productive citizens outside of school. Like you don't want to have these students elect not to come to school or feel like they were cheated in the education that they got, or just come to school and go through the motions and then just go out in the world and still try to figure out what they're trying to do and, you know, and basically not thrive. 
We want our students to be able to thrive after they leave us. Why have we had them in school from kindergarten to 12th grade for them just to go out in the world and struggle? Like, yes, there's going to be obstacles. Yes, there are going to be things that they need in order to be successful. Like, yes, we can't hold their hand along the way. But if we listen to them and build into the and build in program into school that's, that's catered to the things that they're interested in, that's going to have them more excited to come to school, that's going to have them more engaged into school then we're setting them up for success. We're helping them to have fewer obstacles when they go out. Like one of the biggest issues that that I feel uh, we as a re-engagement team support with our students is we're connecting them with resources that they didn't know that they had and also resources they don't know how to to access. Mm -hmm. Like you can say Charlotte, Charlotte has a plethora of resources. Oh my gosh, yeah. But if one, you don't know about them, and two, you don't know how to obtain them or what to do with them or have access to them. What good is it to have resources? And Charlotte, you can throw a rock and hit about 20 nonprofits <laughs> on one block. Mm-hmm. Within my organization, I think we have six floors and there's a nonprofit organizations on each floor. There are tons of resources in our community. But if the students and the families don't know about the resources and don't know how to connect to the resources. What good are the resources? And so part of the work that we do, not only with re-engagement coordinators, but also within communities and schools, is we we identify the resources. We, t- we connect parents and students with resources and we help them access those resources. So it's not just dropping a name down and say, so-and-so is here and they're located on 5th Street. It's like, so-and-so is here. They're located on 5th Street. These are the requirements. How can I help you? And what ways can I support you? Yeah. Get the things that you need in order for you to be successful. And I feel like the school districts need to be the same way. Like these are the things that we can offer your students. This is the act, this is the um, the activities we have during the day that we can we can have to enhance the academic learning your student is getting. These are the things that we can build into the curriculum. This is a time that we can take out so the students can kind of engage in social emotional learning, you know, with a purpose, not just social emotional learning, just to say we had a block of it, but purposely engage with those. These are things that we can do. These are things that students have said. So how can we work together to make sure that we can put all these things in the same place, in the same space and make it equitable? Because not everyone in every place is getting the same thing. And not everyone in every place is getting the same access. There are kids here in schools that have more access than they can imagine. And there are kids here who have limited to none. So how can we listen to student voice? How can we use these resources and make sure we're using them to the betterment of our students and our families? How can we build curriculum that's going to that's gonna attract our students and not repel our students? And how can we make sure that all the things that we are providing for our students is equitable amongst all our students across CMS. So that's a big magic wand. <laughs> but it's a magic wand, but so you I can do it. it. I know, but if I had it, I would do it. And then also not only making it, making that a great place for students to be, but also making it a great place for our staff to want to be. Mm. Like, I love CIS. I love the work I've done with CIS. Um, I don't know if I'll be here for 20 years. Like, my coworkers have been here for 20 years. Um, some of the things I see next for myself is working more intently with school climate and school culture. 
because I think school crime and school culture is the cornerstone of education when it comes to engaging our students, engaging our families, and making sure that we are building spaces and places where people feel safe, people feel welcomed, people feel appreciated, and people feel like Everybody in this building wants the best for me. Everybody in this building wants to see me be successful. And even when I am not the greatest kid on the planet, they still care for me. They care about my future. And they're going to give me every chance to succeed. And it's not just words. Like, I'm not just passing a poster that's on the wall that says, I want you to be great today. I want you to feel best today. Like, come see me. I care about you. But every time my footsteps on this campus, I feel it all over me. My mother feels it when she comes in to talk to the principal. My uncle feels it when he comes in to see my counselor. My grandmother comes in and she feels it when she comes to watch a football game. Like I want to be able to say everybody in my family feels like this place loves and cares about me in all aspects of me, not just because I'm passing my classes, not just academically, but personally me too. Because when you go out in the world, you just don't take your book smart. You take your whole self. So like my goal is to one day help to create and support positive school climate and school culture um, environments for for students and families. So they, whenever they walk into the space, they know everybody within this space cares about me and my family and they want us to succeed on every level. That was beautiful. I think that would be incredible. I do. I do. And I think it's so needed. And you would see graduation rates skyrocket. You would see teacher mm-hmm. retention skyrocket. You would see Absolutely. overall satisfaction skyrocket. All of you those would see things parent engagement yeah. skyrocket as yep. well. Yep. You have to push parents out the door. Yes. And yes. what a great place to be when you have to push parents out the door. Right. Because they want to be there. Right. And you know? the norm should be my teacher cares for my student. It shouldn't be the exception. And I, it, it, yeah, you typically hear it. And you've been in education. You will find mm-hmm. students who they have that person. Like part of communities and schools is to make sure that our students have at least one person that they have a trusting relationship with on campus. And you've had students who you were probably their person. Mm-hmm. I, I and was. And I have I been had... that person. Yeah. Yeah. And and but I how was, great is it is if they have like thirty people, not just Miss Gabby, but they have fifty or thirty Miss Gabbies who are their who are their people. Right. Right. And I had that person too. Acacia Brahalba was yeah. my lifeline in high school. She was my cheer coach. She was my English teacher. And that was the greatest gift for me being in the classroom was I I know and I can say with full confidence I was that for other students. Mm-hmm. And that's why leaving yeah. the classroom, I felt okay. Because I know I did what I came to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you showing them that relationship and showing and showing them how to build that kind of relationship with someone, it probably left them in a better space to be open to build that type of relationship with other people. Because sometimes our students come and they, they're not the most trusting. They have had people before who are supposed to be in that corner who have let them down. So the work that we're doing is to, like, I'm going to be in your corner and I'm not just going to tell you, you can trust me, but I'm working towards building this relationship with you. And when you go through those steps with the student and you show them how to build a trusting relationship with you, it gives them the tools to know 
and to be able to see like, okay, the way this person is moving and the things this person is doing, they might be another Miss Gabby. I might be able to trust this person too. I might be able to build that type of relation with this person too. And so we're equipping them with those tools to be able to see what it looks like when somebody really has your best interest at heart. Right. Without anything that's coming back on, on, on them. Like I'm not trying to, you know, coach you and, you know, be your best, your best supporter because you're the number one quarterback on my team, or, you know, you have the best grades in my team. So every time we have a, you know, a test, you're the one that scores A's. Like it's no benefit or reflection on me. I'm doing this because I absolutely care about what your future holds for you. And I'm here to support you. And when you build that kind of relationship with the student and then they're able to see those qualities in you, then they look for those qualities in other people and they're able to build those relationships with other people. And then they turn into people who other people are building relationships with, right. which is a fantastic thing. And then it keeps going and going and going. And imagine if that goes from, I have two people in my school who care about me to my entire school, even teachers whose classes I don't take, even coaches who don't know me, even the ROTC people who I don't even have ROTC class with. Anytime I engage with these people, I know everybody in this building cares about me and wants me to succeed. Yeah. And it all And starts. not because it makes them look good. Right. That's where the culture is key. And it's so important. And I could completely see you in that role. And I... I know that is in your future. I, I hope it is, but like, I truly like in my heart, I do feel like that's exactly where you'll land everything. Like I said, there's that invisible string. Okay, Gabby. Well, I would take your magic wand too, Gabby. <laughs> <laughs> I would take the magic wand you have for me. <laughs> it's there. It's going to happen. We're manifesting it. It's happening. It's happening every day. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Gabby's magic wand. <laughs> yes. No, it's your but one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, truthfully, I think that that's the the perfect note to end on. Um, this conversation to me has just felt so empowering and so important. And I hope for all of those, for all of you who are listening, I hope you have felt the same exact way. So thank you for taking some time. Thank you for powering through all the issues in the beginning and, and sitting down with me. It was incredible. And for for those who would like to engage with you, where can people mm -hmm. contact you? So uh, I just want to tell you, thank you again, just from um, us first, having our first conversation to today, it has been absolutely fantastic. And I, I love the opportunity to speak to a fellow former educator because you understand this work, you understand what we're trying to do. And it is just amazing to be able to have those conversations with people who have been in your shoes, who have seen the things you've seen and are champion for our students. And that's just an amazing thing. Um, so if anyone wants to get in contact with me personally, they can contact me at Chicago. That's S-H-A-K-A-K-A dot perry at cischarlotte.org and if you want to learn more about the work we're doing here in charlotte with communities and schools you can just contact us on our website it's cischarlotte.org and if you want to know what we're doing nationally within communities and schools you can go to our national website which is cis.org and um, please visit us and see the great things that we're doing you never know we might be at a school in your community um, you might be able to partnership with us because we love having partners within the community and we are across the nation so not just in Charlotte we are actually in Columbia as well um, and shout out to Columbia South Carolina Hi. my hometown go Gamecocks yeah. I am a proud game 
I'm a proud Gamecock. So we are in Columbia. We are in Georgia. We are all over Texas. Um, our national headquarters is in Washington, D.C. We are in Michigan. We are in L.A. So CIS is a national organization and so many different communities doing so much amazing work with so many incredible staff members and students and families. And I would just encourage everyone, please visit our website, see the work that we're doing, seeing how you can, can contribute to the work we're doing. And um, if you want to be um, hired by CIS, <laughs> it probably won't take you two years. <laughs> like Check back in five years. years to do it. <laughs> I don't know. But we're all we're always we're always looking for great people to come join our teams and all the different uh, positions that we have. So please just come check us out. We're doing great things over here and we're looking to do um, greater things in the future. And thank you again, Gabby, for, for having me and for giving me the opportunity to um, represent um, the re-engagement team and CIS Charlotte and CIS. And um, I'm just glad to be here. And hopefully, you know, this will reach a lot of people and we'll get some traffic to see all the cool things we're doing here in Charlotte. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you again. 